Letter from Miss Mabel Kelling to Mrs. Apollonia Kelling Dear Appy, I presume you expect to be thanked for the gift which I have not yet been able to identify. Never let it be said that I am remiss in my social duties. Speaking of which, you had better not plan on staying with me overnight when you come to attend Emma's latest venture into amateur theatricals. You know she will be miffed if you don't allow her to play Lady of the Manor offstage as well as on, though I'm not sure where she's going to park you if Sarah's still there. It looks to me as if she'll be around a good deal longer than Emma expects. Sarah claims that new husband of hers is off on another of his so-called business trips. Surely even you can read between the lines. Anyway, they are up to their eyeballs over there with the play, or comic opera, as I believe those Gilbert and Sullivan things are properly called. The plot, as far as I've been able to make out, deals with a boy and girl who are foolish enough to become engaged to each other, and their parents, a widow and widower respectively, who wish to be engaged but for some never-explained reason are not. There is also a silly young thing who is chasing after the vicar, he being at least twice her age. She has a mother who is listed on the program as a pew-opener. This presumably refers to the period when the gentry had themselves shut into high-walled pews at church so the common folk couldn't see what they were up to during the service. Since you are so totally inept at keeping a story straight, I thought I might as well explain in advance what this one is all about— rather than get hissed at for information all through the performance as generally happens. After the usual tiresome overture, a chorus of village men and maidens sing the usual sort of unintelligible nonsense about how happy everybody is today because Aline, the girl, is getting betrothed to Alexis, the boy. Then the pew-opener and her daughter come on looking as grumpy as we shall all no doubt be feeling by then. The daughter, Constance, tells her mother, Mrs. Partlett, that she is in love with the vicar who doesn't care for her. Needless to say, the vicar then appears, declaiming that the girls aren't chasing him anymore now that he's old and fat, instead of young and handsome. The mother tries her hand at matchmaking and fails, naturally, this being only the beginning of the show. They go away, no doubt to everyone's relief. The boy, Alexis, and his father, Sir Marmaduke, come on and are congratulated by the vicar, Dr. Daly, for quite some time. You know how ministers run on. These three go away and on comes Aline with the rest of the girls. She sings a song about marriage having its disadvantages as well as its alleged advantages, as if one had to be told. Then the mother... Lady Sangajour and prospective father-in-law Sir Marmaduke enter, and they all sing a lot of gibberish about one thing and another. At last, the lawyer appears with the bridal contract. Instead of reading out the terms in a sane and sensible manner, the young people go ahead and append their signatures to the unread document, while the chorus stands around loudly applauding this totally rash and senseless act. Eventually, they all leave the stage except Alexis and Aline. Alexis expounds some ridiculous theory that everybody ought to marry everybody else without distinction of rank. Aline, like a besotted little ninny, agrees with him. He then tells her he has resolved on obtaining a potion which will make all those villagers who have shown a reluctance toward lawful wedlock, though no doubt sufficient forwardness in other directions, 
fall in love with one another. Aline protests, but of course he doesn't listen. Men never do. And they go off to one J. Wellington Wells, a sorcerer. Hence, I assume, the name of the production, to get the potion. He subjects them to a lot of mumbo-jumbo, no doubt as an excuse to jack up the price, then sells them the potion, which he puts into a large teapot Alexis has brought with him. Alexis, mind you, being the son of a baronet, Sir Marmaduke. Can you picture a baronet's son carrying a large teapot, unwrapped, through the streets of London? Perhaps this is meant to add a touch of humor. In any event, they take the pot to a tea party, which Sir Marmaduke, the baronet, is giving to celebrate the betrothal. Too cheap or too broke to buy champagne, I suppose. They always are, aren't they?